The hiatus is over. Hunt with Bruce. We're bringing you back in. We took a week off. Got Doobie Brothers bringing us in because the reason we had a week off was to celebrate marijuana going live in the state of Michigan. <laughs> I'm down in Ohio. Ryan Hunt, was it madness up there? No, it, it really wasn't too bad, honestly. It was kind of business as usual in Michigan. Now, I don't, uh, I don't partake in the medicinal, but I do know quite a few of my friends were very excited, and uh, I even think I got a 6 a.m. text message from one of them celebrating the great day that was uh, Marijuana Day, I guess, or whatever whatever they're going to come up with as, as that day moving forward in Michigan history. So uh, for all the outsiders that were wondering if the state has completely torn itself apart, we're still here. I'm still here. Send help. Send gift packages, please. Yeah, don't worry about sending gummy bears because they've got the special gummy bears all ready to rock <laughs> up there in the state of Michigan. But, uh, yeah, good good holiday there for Michigan in December now, something they can celebrate. Uh, it's, in, you know, normal holidays you get the day off from work. I think the way they'll celebrate that one now in Michigan is people will forget to come into work on that day instead, you know, mm-hmm. as an ode to, to the marijuana. So good way to start us off. But uh, we did take a week off. Craziness uh, for us, just busy. And, um, you know, I, I think it was a good week to take off because people were talking about everything that was going on between the CFP, the Heisman race. And it was a little overwhelming, to be honest, with all the talk going on. Yeah, it was a nice week to take a sabbatical and just kind of sit back and relax and take all of it in. You had the Heisman, you had the playoff talk, you had bowl selections, you had Army-Navy last Saturday, which is always one of my favorite games every single oh, that year. Was awesome. Yep, so it was a good good week to take off. We apologize for any listeners who were constantly refreshing their podcast feed to see if we had anything coming out last week. But we're here again right before the most important time of the year, which is bowl season. I feel like Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson and Wedding Crashers, where they're getting so excited that it's wedding season. I think that's you and me, but it's just bowl season and we're not going to any weddings. You sandbagging son of a gun. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. what we're thinking. It's but... the first quarter of the big game and you want to toss up the Hail Mary. <laughs> well, you know, the other thing, though, outside of the summer months, this week that we're in right now has to be one of the worst weeks of sports in 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 the the whole year i mean if you think about it i've got lsu and houston on on my tv playing basketball because that's the best game i think this whole week that's the best game that's been on tv there's no football to speak of and so you're just stuck with you know like doing household chores and stuff no excuses i don't like it get some christmas shopping done maybe if you haven't done so already log on to amazon see what kind of deals are out there but you're right. There's not a whole lot going on in the sports world right now. Tomorrow night's uh, Kansas City Chargers game should be interesting in the NFL. But I think yeah. once Saturday comes and, and bowl season rolls around, I think we have five or six games on Saturday alone to kick off bowl season. That's really when things uh, start getting uh, exciting once again, leading up to, of course, the national championship and then shortly thereafter the Super Bowl. And then we kind of go in a lull until March Madness. So if you have anything to do in the meantime, you know, family-wise, chore-wise, get it done this week because Saturday at high noon, bulls kick off. And from there on out, it's just a nice holiday season to sit back and uh, avoid family obligations by watching too much football. Yeah, if you don't get it done now, save it for January 3rd Mm because obviously January 2nd, you got to nurse the January 1st football hangover. But uh yeah, the bowl games start, and we've got a three-day, I think, break going into Christmas, and that's it. And then it's back to bowl games to to round out 2018, take us into 19. Um, we want to get into just comment briefly on, on the Heisman race, how it finished up. Before I ask you what you thought about the finishers, I was out in New York, which was one of the reasons that we, we couldn't put together a podcast last week. Uh, my wife and I were out there for our five-year anniversary, the hotel we were staying at was actually down in Times Square was where they actually had the the Heisman uh, ceremony. However, we didn't know that. Certainly my wife wasn't looking out for that. So we came back Saturday night so I couldn't try to creep around on the uh, ballroom floors of the hotel and just open doors and, oh, sorry, sorry, and see if I could sneak in, uh, you know, to, to the Heisman ceremony. 
do yeah. some live interviews with some of the candidates right there for the Hunt with Bruce podcast. Yeah, I should have got a press pass. I'd have been all set. Oh, next year. Next year. That's that's, right. That'll be your tenth year. That'll be your tenth anniversary gift to yourself. Yeah, that'll be perfect. I'll have to make sure make sure Heidi knows uh, you know, the timing of these things the next time that we take a trip. Always have to take those into consideration. A- absolutely. So what did you think though about the way the way it finished out? You know, you had obviously Kyler Murray stole the crown and then it went after that to and, and Dwayne Haskins like I think everybody thought it would. Yeah, I think everybody figured Haskins would probably finish third, and it was sort of a horse race at the end between Kyler Murray and Tua. And I can't—I don't know if this is accurate or if I read this correctly, but I think before the conference championship weekend kicked off, um, I read somewhere that about 10% of Heisman voters had submitted their ballots. I have to imagine that the majority of those folks that submitted a little early were probably voting for Tua. And then after championship weekend happened, they saw how much Tua struggled in the conference title game against Georgia. Uh, I think that swayed a lot of people's opinions and and made them go and vote for Kyler Murray. And I think Murray is certainly deserving. I still think Tua, all in all, probably had the best year against the best competition in the country. But I don't. I can't argue really against Kyler Murray getting the trophy. I think he's a great athlete. Obviously, he's a great athlete. He has a multi million dollar contract sitting there ready for him to go play baseball next spring. But uh, for him to win. And for Oklahoma as a program to win in back-to-back years for their quarterbacks, I think is a, a testament to Lincoln Riley and the offense out there in the Big 12. Um, but we'll get to see really who who is the best quarterback between Murray and Tua on December 29th. And I think if you asked either of those guys, obviously they would rather win a national title than a Heisman Trophy. But it's going to be a pretty interesting matchup, and I'm glad to see um, both Murray and Tua will be facing off in the first uh, playoff, or in the second playoff. Uh, semifinal on the 29th yeah at least we'll get to see those two square off um i think not every year's like this but i think this was the most subjective year of the heisman that we've had in a while because you could have looked at all three of those candidates and come out with any one of them winners based on the fact that one they all had great stats obviously they threw tons of touchdown passes um tua and murray were a little bit quicker on their feet than Haskins, and obviously Murray's you know faster than, than most running backs and wide receivers. Um, but when you look at the way they did it this season, you've got Oklahoma with with Murray, who if he's not on their team, they probably lose four games. I'd say mm-hmm. if if they don't have him at quarterback. But they also play no teams with defense, so for him to rack up stats like that, it's not as surprising as someone like Tua or Haskins that go out there against better defenses, certainly the Big Ten and the SEC pride themselves on defense. Mm-hmm. And, and then you look at what Tua did. Okay, he had great stats, but he never played a full game until the end of the season, and you might assume that he would have had the same stats that he had in those first halves of games, but maybe he would have thrown a couple more picks or had some more vulnerabilities that came out in those second halves of games. And so you could have went with Haskins, in my opinion, uh, but I, I think Murray's a great, great player, great role model, regardless of what everybody found, you know, when he was 14 years old on Twitter. Um, so I, I thought he was a great pick. The only thing I had beef with was I don't know why we don't invite more players. Yeah, three seemed short to me. I mean, there have been years where there have been five guys up there, you know, waiting to see who gets the pick. And I think there were maybe a few players that were left out. You know, you could certainly make a case for Will Greer at West Virginia um, you could certainly make a case for um, the running back from uh, uh, from Memphis, Daryl Henderson, who had yep. you know 1,900 yards rushing. Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin had almost 2,000 yards rushing, and he averaged over seven yards a carry with 15 touchdowns on the year. He led the nation in yards per game. So I think there were a couple of names that they maybe left off for for various reasons. Probably because Memphis is a Group of Five team. Wisconsin struggled with a seven and five year. So you really again had three of the of the best players on three of the of the better teams in the country which I think is usually what it comes down to and they sort of forget about other players on mediocre teams but you can't expect a guy like Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin to do everything for the Badgers right no and and you know the other thing that goes along with that is this should be a celebration of great seasons by players even if they go there and they get no votes for the top three they still get acknowledged. They get to go enjoy themselves for a weekend in New York City, so they get rewarded. 
I think you could have thrown Mackenzie Milton in there too. Gosh, the guy's been undefeated for two straight seasons. And does he, you know, if he doesn't get hurt, he's still not considered, which bothers me because he's had two great seasons, like I said, back to back. And the other thing that we get stuck on a little bit is the Heisman contenders always have to be on teams that are competing at the top of college football. Mm-hmm. Some could argue Tua had the easiest route to a, a Heisman nomination out of anybody because Alabama's offense and defense at every position is better than any other team in college football. You mentioned Jonathan Taylor. He doesn't get an invite because his team is 7-5. and five. Well, wouldn't it be harder for you to garner stats like that yeah. if you're on a terrible team? Right. <laughs> so, right. it's again, it becomes so subjective. I'm not complaining about any of it. I mean, I, I'm not saying Tua won't be one of the next best QBs in the NFL when he gets there. But, again, I, I just think he invites some more people. You know, one of the biggest robberies I can remember was Keenan Reynolds from Navy a handful of years ago. He didn't get invited. Um, you know, not only did he have the stats to show for it, but you got a guy that's going to serve in, in, the, in the Naval Academy and you can't give him an invite to come out there. So I, I just think that sometimes they look at this a little bit differently than they should. It should be a celebration of some great players. Give the kids a reward. It doesn't just have to be, you know, the three guys are going to get most of the votes. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. And even with Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin, you know, he gained 1,989 yards on the ground. I'm pretty sure Wisconsin's offense the entire year gained 1,989 total yards because they had the Bucks corny broke at quarterback. So a guy like Jonathan Taylor, who is the entire offense for Wisconsin, like you said, it's probably even more difficult for those types of players to accumulate impressive stats and jump off the page at you if they're playing on very average teams. Well, yeah. You what are they doing against Wisconsin? You're throwing 11 guys in the box because Horny Broke is not going to beat you. So mm-hmm. that to me, that's harder. For someone to take care of that. And, and this is the last time I'll beat beat Tua up. But do you ever think he's going to get sacked? Because he's got these linemen that are going to block for days for him. And, you know, he's, he's very athletic. So this guy's got all the time in the world. I watched enough games of Bama this year to see how much time he had. And when he didn't have time, which game was that? Georgia. And what happened? He, he, he got nervous. He wasn't sure of himself. He threw that first pick while they were driving to maybe set up, uh, you know, them to take control of the game early on. And and from there, Georgia kind of they had his number and he knew it and he got hurt. And I mean, just you you never know when when guys get put in situations where there's a little bit of pressure that changes a lot of things. And I think Murray and Haskins certainly had to deal with a lot more pressure week in, week out than Tua did. Mm -hmm. So enough of the Heisman talk. Before we jump into some of the actual bowl games we've got coming up, there's been some coaching changes in the last two weeks. Anything that you've seen that you like, don't like, or you're surprised that a guy still has his job? I think surprising to me is a place like Utah State. So their head coach, Matt Wells, obviously left for Texas Tech, and Utah State was one of the best group of five teams. You know, They had that tough road loss against Michigan State to start off the year, but then from there, I mean, they kind of ran rampant through the Mountain West until they had to face off against Boise State at the end of the year for a shot at playing in the conference title game. But they bring back Gary Anderson, who was was a coach um, at Utah State. He went 26-24 and 24 in four seasons with the Aggies. He did have that one season in 2012 where they went 11-2 and two, uh, before I, I think he jumped ship after that. But he's kind of an interesting pick for Utah State. I thought they could probably have brought in somebody a little bit younger, um, that was looking for uh, a promotion instead of bringing back somebody like Gary Anderson, who has already led that program in the past. But to me, I think the best hire thus far, with Bill Snyder retiring at Kansas State, yep. bringing in a guy like Chris Kleiman, who is right now running probably the most dominant FCS team we've seen in a number of years in North Dakota State. You know, he's gone 67 and six over the last few seasons. They've won three national titles. Uh, North Dakota State's playing for a fourth will likely be playing for a fourth national title this year. He's for produced sure. NFL level talent like Carson Wentz. So I, I did see some pushback from Kansas State fans online in this hire. I'm not sure exactly who they thought they were going to get, but I think getting a guy like Chris Kleiman who has had success at the FCS level and has beaten FBS teams that I think quite frankly Kansas State would probably struggle to beat on an annual basis, that's a huge win 
for uh, for Kansas State out there in Manhattan. Yeah, and did you catch that game at all uh, over the weekend, uh, North Dakota State against Colgate at all? I saw that crazy catch. Uh, that, that they called an they, incomplete pass? They called an incompletion. To me, it looked like a catch, but, I mean, North Dakota State's just, they're pure dominance there in the FCS. Yeah, I was watching that. We had stopped at a bar before we went to the airport to watch the Michigan State-Florida basketball game, and there was a guy sitting down the bar from us watching the watching our game a little bit and then watching the North Dakota State game. So we saw that live, that that catch-no-catch, and both of us are like, oh, my gosh, they're going to overturn that. That was a hell of a catch. And this girl at the bar that didn't know what she was talking about was like, oh, that's so incomplete. He didn't even have control of it. He bobbled it on the way down. And we're looking at her like, girl, you got no idea what you're talking about. And then they come back incomplete, and we're like, what the hell's going on here? Oh, boy. <laughs> the world's turning upside down. But, yeah, I, I thought that was a great pick mm-hmm. uh, by Kansas State. Um, I, was, I was a little surprised to see – uh, our boy Mac Brown from Texas come back. Yeah. Uh, I like that he's going to North Carolina though. It's kind of that full circle thing. He goes back to where he where he kind of started there with the Tar Heels. Um, Cliff Kingsbury going to USC as an offensive coordinator. That was the move I wanted. I think we already touched on that a little bit. But outside of that, uh, yeah, there there wasn't a lot going on. There were a couple extensions that we saw um, with Illinois and Lovey Smith and Rutgers and Chris Ash that I thought were a little suspect based on how not well they've played over the past couple seasons. But to each their own, if you got a guy you like, I guess hold on to him because he could be gone five minutes later when someone comes calling. So Now what about Les Miles at Kansas? I know that happened a few weeks ago. That's not necessarily a recent hire, but the Mad Hatter out coaching the Jayhawks. I mean, What's yeah. not to love about that hire? Well, I, I think it was a great hire. It's still going to be tough, I think, to get people to go to Kansas. Although it sounds like they're getting a commitment from you know the guys that pay Kansas players for Bill Self. They're going to start paying for better facilities uh, for the football team. So it, it that's what it comes down to. If you can get the commitment from donors, uh, boosters, whatever, to start pumping money into your program, you'll start getting players to come there because kids want to go where you got all the cool locker rooms, the practice fields the you know cafeterias all that stuff if that's all jazzed up you'll get guys to come there so i think he'll be all right Mm -hmm. but on from coaching changes now we got to talk about players that are making some changes or rather skipping bowl games to get ready for the nfl draft as they leave their uh, respective schools now there's uh, not, not a huge list but first of all what what do you think about these guys sitting out of the game do you like it do you not like it? You know, give us give us your thoughts here. I don't like it from a confidence pool standpoint because it kind of throws some of your picks off. That's just me being selfish. I completely <laughs> yeah. get it from a business case standpoint. You, we've seen you know players like Jalen Smith at Notre Dame a couple of years ago in the Fiesta Bowl against Ohio State. He was likely going to be a top five, top ten pick at the linebacker position in the following year's draft. And he tears his ACL, gets some nerve damage in his knee, and uh, and he drops to the second round. And the Cowboys take a flyer on him, and it worked out for Dallas in the end. But you know, uh, there was a, a a thought there for a while that he might drop as low as the third or fourth round because of the injury. So I think a lot of players maybe had that in the back of their minds leading up to those types of injuries. But then after you see a guy like Jalen Smith go down with an injury in a bowl game where they're not necessarily playing for a national title. I think a lot of the guys now that have maybe first round or second round prospects think, well, am I really going to give up X amount of dollars just to go out and play one more game, a game in which I can get injured? And that could change, you know, that that player's future and, and the course and their trajectory into the NFL. So I completely get it from a business standpoint. Um, like I said, it throws a few of my picks off for uh, our bull pick them group on ESPN. That's something I can I can try and manage though and and adjust on the fly. So I, I'm I'm fine with it. It is what it is. Yeah, I mean it's I, I kind of fall on both sides of it. It's tough because if you don't have the one of those nice insurance policies where if your draft stock gets hit, you know, a certain amount, you drop out of the draft or drop, you know, from the first round to the seventh or however they write those up, you know, if you're not getting ten millions on the side for for that, then I understand it completely. Um the one thing that you got to think about is sometimes it opens the door for guys 
that become heroes, legends in the bowl game, and also get set up for the next season to be big contributors where maybe they wouldn't have gotten that chance uh, beforehand if that starter hadn't sat out. And one of the things I think of or one of the games that comes to mind is the Rose Bowl for MSU in 2013. Now, granted, Bulla didn't sit out to go to the pros. He was taking, I think, a couple too many pain pills hanging out with Brett Favre a little bit. But uh, he sat out. Kyler Ellsworth comes in to play for him. And, you know, game game on the line, fourth down, sets up for Kyler Ellsworth to jump over the line, stuff their fullback to win the Rose Bowl with the help of a couple other guys there, Shalit Calhoun being one of them. But, you know, maybe you get that, you find that diamond in the rough that got to step up and make a big play, and, and the rest is history from there. This year, again, it's not a huge list, but some of the impact players that impact your bowl pick them, like you said, would be Nikhil Harry from Arizona State. I think that's a huge impact player for that game against Fresno. Rashawn Gary at Michigan, obviously a big deal to lose a, a D-end like him. Debo Samuel, wide receiver out of South Carolina. You got Ed Oliver out of Houston, another D-end. You mentioned Daryl Henderson from Memphis. He is declared for the draft, but he has not decided or at least made it known whether he's going to play in the bowl game or not. But that's a huge loss if he sits out being uh, that he's a, a, you know one of the leading rushers in the nation. Noah Fant out of Iowa. He's a tight end, but Iowa uses their tight ends a lot. So that's a big deal for Iowa, who's not uh, the most uh, offensively gifted team. Will Greer, probably the biggest name out there from West Virginia, and it's the biggest position when it comes to football. So you know, losing your QB, that'll make it tough for the Mountaineers to overcome. And then the last one, Justice Hill out of OK State at running back. That'll change things uh, for them against Missouri, one that could be a really high-scoring game. So you know, not having him might affect the points that get put on the board for the Cowboys. Uh, but it certainly changes, you know, the outcome of those games, who you pick if you're, if you're betting on them. Um, but, you know, to each their own, if they want to sit out, they can sit out. Sometimes you get guys on the other end, like LJ Scott, who recently declared to go to the NFL this year instead of come back for a fifth year, but he's going to play in the bowl game. That's a little bit different because he's got to, he's got to prove something. He didn't play much this year. So he's got to put on a show, uh, but certainly exciting for MSU fans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the the two big names you had mentioned that jump out at me would be Will Greer. We've seen that game go from West Virginia being a seven and a half point favorite. They're just now a one and a half point favorite against Syracuse. And I'm actually going to back the orange in that game if if, since Greer is sitting out. And then the other name to me is Ed Oliver, the defensive end from Houston. I already had Army pegged to win that game in our bowl pick them just a little inside baseball for you if you're making your picks and want to fade me. But <laughs> Houston has the 99th ranked rush defense in the country. Army loves to run the ball, and I think without Ed Oliver, that defensive line just becomes even uh, even worse against the run. So I, I would certainly maybe even put Army up a few points if you're if you're doing a confidence pool like we are. To me, those are the two big names. And then obviously Michigan having two defensive players out might change a few things or change some picks for the Florida-Michigan game on uh, on New Year's Day as well. Yeah, well, you know, if you're Ed Oliver, though, who's been banged up here towards the end of the season, why would you ever want to go play 60 minutes of getting chop-blocked <laughs> by Army's option offense? I mean, that's just a recipe for breaking your legs or getting your knee screwed up heading into the draft. I would sit out if I were him. I mean, it. it yeah, it's it's tough, like you said. There's guys that can can end their careers, literally be done before their career even starts in the NFL. Yep. So. And I said well, Michigan plays on. I said Michigan plays on New Year's Day. They actually play on December 29th. Yeah. Not not quite good enough to make a New Year's Day bowl still. Yeah. Well, you know, I thought that was funny that they got into a, a better bowl game than most, but they still got to play like eight days before New Year's. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> Speaking of, we want to talk about the bowl games that we love, the matchups we love coming up here in the next couple of weeks, the ones that we wish we could have seen had we gotten to. I think we'll look specifically maybe at the New Year's Six, but the ones that we wanted to see if we could make the matchups. And before we do that, though, in case you're not already as pumped up as as Ryan and I are for the bowl season, 
I want you to listen to interim Temple football coach Ed Foley, who does his best impression of Matt Foley, except he's serious. He's not trying to be funny and talks about in his presser the upcoming bowl game. Hold on to your button hooks because this guy's about to get crazy. <laughs> Our football team is going to come down here ready to play. We're going to practice really hard. We're going to play really hard. I hope that we play well, but I know that we'll play hard. And we're going to find out about Duke and we're going to find out about Temple. And we're going to find out about which one of those football clubs wants to hit each other harder and longer. That's what we're going to decide here in the 27. <laughs> Temple and Duke. <laughs> I'm that's the game I'm most excited for now after that clip. Yeah, he was fired up. I think somebody wants to keep that job, doesn't want that interim title when it's all said and done. But man, he came out of that on fire, ready to go. And if if you haven't seen the Matt Foley skits, I think he sounded just like Chris Farley. Um it was it was perfect. And in fact, in case you haven't heard it, let me give you a brief clip. All right, how's everybody? Good, good, good. Now, as your father probably told you, my name is Matt Foley, and I am a motivational speaker. Now let's get started by letting me give you a little bit of a scenario of what my life is all about. First off, I am 35 years old, I am divorced, and I live in a van down by the river. It's a perfect place to stop it. <laughs> if you dubbed that over with Ed Foley from Temple, I think it's a pretty close, same tone, same voice. They're getting pretty fired up, both of them. Yeah, that was perfect. Great, uh, great clips between the two. I, I can't tell which one is which at this point. Is Matt coaching? <laughs> yeah. Is Ed coaching? I'm not sure. It's too bad he didn't throw in the van down by the river. That would have been perfect. <laughs> but, but enough about the motivational speech. Games that I love heading into bowl season, I'm going to list them off. We can talk about some of them. Let me know if some of them are the ones you're thinking about. But – Iowa State, Washington State, I think that's an intriguing matchup. I don't really know which way to go on that one. Uh, Notre Dame-Clemson, I can't wait for that game. I think that the Irish are going to put up a much bigger fight than people think they are against Clemson. And I'm ready for the Tigers to finally be tested by a good team. Northwestern-Utah, that'll be a fun game if you like games that end 3-2. to two. But it is going to be a defensive slugfest, and I can't wait for that one. Purdue-Auburn. That one's interesting because you'd think Auburn's going to come out and, and smother Purdue. But Purdue's got a good offense, and they, they didn't back down against Ohio State. And then I'm, I'm excited for MSU's matchup. Now, I know the season wasn't great, you know, 7-5. and five, But going to play Oregon, who's got a you know top-five quarterback in Justin Herbert at the helm, I think that's a great game. And to give MSU a month to figure out how to score a couple points, it, it, it'll be a good matchup, in my opinion. Yeah, I like all of those games. And Michigan State, with a month preparation, I think will be a little bit more competitive offensively than they were the latter half or the latter quarter of, uh, of the regular season. A couple of ones that I wrote down from a scoreboard-busting standpoint, if you like points, Memphis and Wake Forest, I think, is a great game. Yeah. They both have great offenses or decent offenses but both of their defenses are atrocious memphis is allowing over 31 points a game 
Uh, Wake Forest is allowing 33 points a game. They're both, you know, ranked 91st or 92nd and 102nd in the country in scoring defense. So I think that one will be interesting to watch, and you could end up with a 45 to 40 ball game. I would take the over in that one. I don't know what it is, but I would take the over in Memphis versus Wake Forest. Um, yeah, and, and Wake Forest has been putting points up here towards the end of the season. Well, at least the, the last game against Duke, they dropped 59 on them. Yep, so, yep. right, it could be a crazy scoring game. And the uh, the total on that one is 74.5. I would hammer the over oh, yeah. in, in that one. Um, if you like teams that came way short of expectations and maybe are looking for a little bit of redemption, look no further than Miami against Wisconsin. Um, that <laughs> That one, I think, will be an interesting matchup. Like I said, they both struggled mightily throughout the year. Um, both were certainly ranked in the top 25 at the beginning of the season. And I've, and uh, we'll see which one has a little bit more fight and a little bit more spirit. Well, it's a rematch. Off the year. And a, yeah, and a rematch from uh, from last year's bowl game as well. And then the only other one that I had written down, uh, I think the best group of five versus power five matchup to me outside of obviously UCF and LSU would be Cincinnati and Virginia Tech. You know, Virginia Tech snuck into a bowl at six and six, they had to schedule a late season game to get to six wins. And uh, they face off against Cincinnati, who has had a phenomenal year out of the American Athletic Conference. Cincinnati went to UCLA earlier on in the year um, to win. And, and that was a great power five win for Cincinnati. So uh, I'm interested to see just how good the Bearcats are. We'll see if Virginia Tech could, can continue riding a hot hand. They had to pull together a couple of wins later on in the year to secure that bowl streak. So from a group of five versus power five standpoint, I think that's a, a, one of the more interesting matchups. Yeah, those are some good ones. There's, you know, there's always good matchups. I know some years, and, and I heard a little bit of the chatter around Football Nation this year that there weren't tons of good matchups. But I think if you look at some of these uh, a little more closely, they're great matchups because I can guarantee you what we think is going to happen isn't going to happen. You're going to have a UCF over Auburn. You know, Auburn might lose to Purdue. Purdue might throw, you know, 60 on them. Um, you, you just don't know what's going to happen. And you get teams that play completely different styles. They've never played each other. It's just it's fun to watch regardless of who you've got. Uh, but with that being said, when I look at the New Year's Six, I thought this year, and I'd have to go back to other years to, to see if it was any different or, you know, any better, any worse. But I thought they missed the boat on a couple great matchups that they could have had in the New Year's Six. The one, the, the biggest one being, why in the hell are we not watching Michigan and Georgia play in a bowl game? That's the one that bothered me the most, which would have set up the next best matchup, Florida versus UCF in a battle of the state. Granted, Mackenzie Milton's out, but UCF would want every piece of Florida to try to prove the point that they're the team of that state. And then the last one, you know, because we, we take Michigan, Georgia, Florida, UCF, that leaves us with a good matchup between LSU and Texas, which I think would be a heck of a game. Um, so I thought those were the three games that they could have switched around a little bit and given us a lot more, uh, you know, a lot bigger headlines for those games. Yeah, I would have liked would have liked to have seen uh, a few different matchups. I think with Ohio State and Washington, you know, obviously Ohio State being the Big Ten rep uh, and and Washington being the Pac-12 rep. You know, the Rose Bowl had to take um, right. the first team from the Pac-12 and the Big Ten not in the college football playoff. But all rules aside, you know, the most intriguing matchup to me for the New Year's Six, if, if we did a little bit of a remix, would be Georgia and Ohio State two teams that were right there on the cusp of the playoff uh, and they just fell short there at five and six at the end of the season. And they also have two of the top quarterbacks in the country with Jake Fromm and Dwayne Haskins being number three and number four respectively in passer rating. I think that would be a shootout. It'd be a great matchup between two storied programs. I also would have liked to have seen either Georgia versus Michigan or LSU versus Michigan um, just to, to make it more of a defensive battle between those two teams. And then my final one that I wrote down would be basically any of the New Year's Six teams except for LSU against UCF solely because I'm getting just plain sick and tired of all of the UCF talk with their self-proclaimed <laughs> national title and all the playoff talk they received even after Mackenzie Milton went out with an injury for the season. 
Um, so I would love to see LSU just roll UCF. But, you know, LSU doesn't have a great, effective, and explosive offense. They're in the bottom half of rankings in terms of yards per game. So if UCF can get something going on offense, they might finish undefeated for the second straight year. But I would love to have seen UCF play like a Michigan or a Georgia uh, or an Ohio State or maybe even a Washington with Washington's vaunted defense um, just so that we could stop with all of the UCF talk. Yeah, well, you know, the UCF talk might continue because the backup QB that came in for Milton, he had to settle in, obviously, in that first half against Memphis at the end of the year. But once he did, you know, the game went from being a game that I thought Memphis had in their hands and they're going to give me another point in my pick to all of a sudden UCF, uh, you know, winning by double digits over the Tigers. So they mm-hmm. might give give LSU all they can handle and more. Um, I just that Michigan Florida matchup to me, we've had it what like three out of the last four years or something. It's getting stale. I don't want to see it, especially when you look at both their offenses, really aren't that exciting. And you know, not that I want 60 to 60 on the board, but it's just we've seen this one before. And they, they even had the Florida even had uh, Franks at QB the last time that they played. Mm. So to me, it's just it's one of those rematches that. The New Year's Six is supposed to be those fun ones that you don't get to see because they never they never play each other across the conferences, and we finally get it because they both have great records and and the committee set it up for us. Yep. So we'll we'll see. Maybe these games will surprise me more than than I thought they would have if we'd have switched them around. But nonetheless, a lot of good bowl games. One of the fun things that we decided to look at this year, um, going along with the bowl games is what type of swag or bling do you get with the bowl games and which ones are worth going to and which ones, if you get invited to, are you like, man, we're going to get screwed when it comes to the uh, the merchandise or cash that we get from the bowl. Um, keep in mind when you look at these lists, and, and we've looked at these lists, the maximum value that you can get from any bowl games is $550. So no matter what bowl game you get to, nobody's walking away with more than that. Unless, of course, some bowl games maybe get some things at, at wholesale cost, so they're able to do a little bit more. I actually was wondering about that myself today. Uh, but so what What were your favorite bowl games if you got to go to a game based on what you get <laughs> from that group, from that sponsor? Uh, what, what did you like? Well, I always find it interesting that you know players have always said to the NCAA, can we make money off of our likeness or maybe even get a stipend? And the NCAA is always like, hell no, but guess what? You make a bowl game, you get a fossil watch. So I've always found that to be uh, kind of an interesting dynamic between the players and the NCAA, but that's a debate for another day. If we're looking at bowl games where the swag is a, a little bit better than some of the others, I think the Alamo Bowl with their $425 Amazon gift card, the fossil watch, the mini helmet, and the team photo, I really don't care about those last three things, but that $425 Amazon gift card, I mean, to a college kid, $425 on Amazon is basically like you being a billionaire. You could buy pretty much anything as a college student that you would need on Amazon for that amount of money. Hey, that team photo, though, if I'm on, you know, granted, Bama ain't going to that game, but if I'm on a team like Bama, I get my boys to sign (laughs) right next to their picture, and now that's worth a lot of money. That's true. That's worth way more than $500 NCAA. Yeah. Well, I think I think the best sponsored bowl, not necessarily the best thing that people gave away to the players, but if you make the PlayStation Bowl, you automatically get a new PlayStation. So that's a pretty nice uh, package that you get from them, uh, regardless of which year you go in. I really liked the Quick Lane Bowl, Minnesota-Georgia Tech. You get 175 bucks to Best Buy. You get JBL wireless headphones. This is the best part of this. A life-size fat head decal for each participant of that individual's likeness. So you get your own fat head of yourself. That is awesome. And then you get a backpack, shirts, a mini helmet, and a football. Probably the funniest thing I saw on, on a lot of these bowl game packages is they give these players a football. 
Like, what yeah. the hell do they need a football for? They got 400 back at the practice facility. They could probably take two a day, and the, the school would just buy more. <laughs> it better be one of those Nerf footballs that lights up at night. That's that's the only way I would think a football is cool to get at a bowl game. Yeah, that or uh, what's that? Gosh, now I can't even think of what the name is. What's the one that's the you sail like 150 yards with the tail on the end of it? The whistles in the air. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't remember what that How was called. That was a sweet one. Yeah, so it, that was one I liked. The other one was the uh, Arizona Bowl, Arkansas State, Nevada. You get a Ghost Tech backpack with a power bank and external USB port. I don't know what in the hell that is. <laughs> it's some cool. sort of robot backpack, but it sounds cool. Then you get Beats headphones, a Kindle Fire with built-in Alexa, a cooling towel, a hydro flask, which they put hydro before the word flask, but we all know it can just be a normal flask if you mm. want it to be. And then Frito-Lay products in each bag. So <laughs> to top it off, you get some potato chips to go with all the other stuff that you just got. But I thought that one was pretty cool. Yeah, that one's good. My uh, my least favorite by far was the Boca Raton Bowl. Uh, this is Northern Illinois and UAB, so... Players from these teams get a drawstring backpack, a beach towel, and a football. Uh, these are these are items that I can find in my garage. Not to mention, it's Northern Illinois and UAB, so there's not a whole lot of beaches near either of these universities. And I think if if the kids at Northern Illinois can even find a body of water, they can only use that beach towel like four months out of the year. So to me, if I was one of those players on NIU or UAB. Heading down to Boca Raton, I'd expect a little bit more from that bowl committee than some items that are just lying around in my attic. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for nothing. Next time, just give me a flaming pile of dog poo on my doorstep. <laughs> Gosh. That is, they literally were like, all right, what does everybody have in their house that they need to get rid of? I got an old beach towel drawstring backpack you get those for free at like any any event you go to you go to one seminar in college and they're handing those things out out like jolly ranchers man gosh what a horrible one the one i the one i thought was horrible was i mean that one's really bad but the the new era pinstripe bowl first of all you got to go to yankee stadium (laughs) right now and i was just in new york like i said and it is butt cold out there man it is freezing so now you got to play outdoors in that but it's new era. They give you new era merchandise. So you get a bunch of hats. I mean, hopefully they give you some winter hats because you're going to mm-hmm. be freezing your balls off at, at Yankee Stadium. But how many hats can you get? Obviously, you know, if they give you $550 worth of hats, that's like the worst gift ever. Yeah, that's about $525 too much hats. <laughs> yeah, you need one hat, man. Unless you just can't pick a favorite team, so you're always bandwagoning it. I don't know, man. But, uh, yeah, there, there's some good ones out there. There's some rough ones. I think most of them fall in, like, the mediocre area. They're, they're okay, but, you know, just give me the 550 bucks and let me pick what I want to spend it on. Right. And if my wife gets me a drawstring backpack, a beach towel, and a football for Christmas, <laughs> you can bet you your know, ass you know those stuff. things get returned. Yeah, maybe you should take the hint that things aren't going well at the household. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Good stuff. Well, that, that kind of takes us into our picks for the first. We're, we're going to look at the first week, I guess, of bowl games starting with this Saturday. Before we get into it, though, I do want to mention that D2 football championship game, the Ferris State Bulldogs made the championship game going down to Texas to take on Valdosta or Valdosta State out of uh, Georgia. So pretty exciting for Ferris State. I followed them a little bit because I graduated from there. But uh, if you follow them at all, they won in basketball mm-hmm. this past March. So they could take home state titles – or sorry, state titles, <laughs> national titles in football and basketball in the same year which is pretty damn impressive. And back in, I think it was 15-16, they made the finals in hockey, didn't come out with the victory. But, man, talk about uh, a school that's doing everything right right now. I guess you got to go with Ferris State. Forget Bama. 
Yeah, that's a powerhouse team right there for fair. I mean, they've had a good couple of years uh, in football and a school that's known for its its is it the golf program or the tennis program up at Ferris? They're they're known for both of those programs. Both. I'll tell you, they they didn't used to be known for basketball. I took up some of my my tennis crew and we beat the the Ferris State basketball team at pickup at the gym when we when we went there, you know, ten years ago or whatever it was. So, so they're slightly they've, improved since then. Yeah, they've come a long way. I remember we played a zone on them, and they acted like they they never seen a zone in their entire lives. But when the guys are all six eight or taller, you know what can you do? Right. <laughs> all right. So real picks for Saturday. Although if you can find anywhere to bet on this game, which I haven't been able to find a spread or anything for the Ferris State game, I would I would go with the the Michigan Homers there. Take the Bulldogs. Yeah. The spread's got to be out there somewhere. We'll we'll work on finding it. Maybe just yeah, take I didn't money. look too hard. It wasn't take on a money Bovada, line if you can find so. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But to start us out, first game of the bowl season is what North Carolina A and T and Alcorn State. Yeah, it's the Celebration Bowl, the first bowl matchup for everyone who has a uh, a bowl pick'em group on ESPN. I don't know a whole lot about either of these teams. The little <laughs> that I have read, I think North Carolina A&T has a great defense. Alcorn State has a great rush offense. Um, North Carolina A&T is favored by eight. I'm going to take Alcorn State with the points, but I think uh, A&T comes away with a victory. Yeah, some of these, there won't be any explanation or stats, any kind of analysis, because this yeah, is you- one of those games. I'm going Alcorn State, too. If you're getting seven in the hook, in a game of two teams you don't know, I just say you always take the dog. Yep. Yeah, you're going to find out real quick which of these games I researched and which of these games I just wrote down because that was my gut feeling. Now, the next one, 1.30 on Saturday, I'll tell you exactly why I'm making my pick. Tulane against UL Lafayette. Ryan, Lafayette's nickname is? The Raging Cajuns. You never bet against the Raging Cajuns. That's all I got to say. I'm taking the Raging Cajuns. They're plus three and a half on Bovada. I don't know if that was any different elsewhere, but uh, take them as the dog. Yep, I got them uh, at three and a half points as well. And ULL had a pretty good year. You know, they they hung, they hung tough with Appalachian State in the inaugural Sun Belt Championship game. Uh, I think Tulane's probably a little bit better equipped on defense to stop ULL on the ground. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Green Wave come away with a victory, but I think it's going to be a tight battle. So I would take... ULL plus three and a half. Now we're going down to two o'clock, half hour later on Saturday, and we've got North Texas against Utah State. Now, one of the toughest things I've I've noticed over the years doing this bull pick 'em, confidence points, everything, is the how the team reacts to a coach leaving or a new coach coming in, how they play. And I feel like it's one of those things you can never pinpoint. Some teams, they're so upset that they lost their coach that they play horrible. And then other teams where I bet against them, I bet the house against them, they come out so fired up to prove a point, and they end up burying the team that they're playing against. Mm-hmm. Utah State, as you mentioned, one of those teams with Matt Wells going to Texas Tech. I still think that this team will be fine. And I've got them, they've got to cover seven and a half. And I think that Utah State will do it. That offense is ridiculously good. And I think they'll continue to roll against North Texas. Yeah, I think that's a fine pick. Seven and a half is the spread that I had on this game. It opened up Utah State. They were laying 11 points, but now they're just seven and a half point favorites. I think part of that's probably with the departure of Matt Wells going to Texas Tech. Yeah. Um, U- offense is the is the name of the game for both of these teams. The Aggies are averaging about 493 yards a game. North Texas is averaging about 473 yards a game. I think the big difference here is that Utah State is third in the nation in turnovers. They have 28 takeaways on the year. I think that'll be just enough to give them the win, but I'm going to take North Texas with the points, and I think they cover that 7.5-point spread. Yeah, if I was going off of my Raging Cajuns rule and picking nicknames, I'd definitely go with the Mean Green, North Texas. Uh, But I I like Utah State's offense, and they probably should have beaten Michigan State uh, to start out the year in all honesty. The next game, 3.30 start, we got Fresno State, Arizona State. Um, you know, my, my lean and I was, my upset pick would have been Arizona State hands down. 
I really like what Herm Edwards has done with that team. They Every game they've lost, they've been in uh, basically until the end. Uh, but with Nikhil Harry, their you know, giant wide receiver that can make plays all over the field, and he's got the speed to go along with the size, is, like we said, sitting out the bowl game and getting ready for the draft. And I think he's a big enough impact player to completely flip the script here. And so I'm going with Fresno State. They've got they've they're laying four and a half. I think they actually cover the four and a half and win the game there. Yeah, they have uh, one of the better defenses in the country. They're giving up just over 13 points a game, so that's second in the nation. Um, think back to just two years ago. Fresno State went one and eleven two years ago. Last year they played in the Mountain West title game. This season they beat Boise State in Boise, Idaho to win the Mountain West. So they're certainly one of the better group of five teams. And Arizona State's leading receiver, one of the best receivers in the country, he's sitting out to prep for the NFL draft. I think even with that, all five of Arizona State's losses this year have been by seven points or less. So they're still a good competitive team. And I think they have enough talent offensively with their running back, Eno Benjamin, who has rushed for over 1,500 yards this year to not only cover that four and a half point spread, but I think Arizona State will actually win this game in a close battle against Fresno. Wow, we finally got our first uh, two ends of the spectrum here with yep. the picks. I don't know. I I mean, we'll have to see if Fresno State doesn't stack that box on Eno because they know Nikhil's not going over the top. Um, it, it'll be a good game. Actually, that's one of the early games. I mean, it's, you know, the first day of bowl games. I really like that game. I'll be watching that one for sure. Mm-hmm. Next one, 5.30 Saturday. We got Georgia Southern, Eastern Michigan. Eastern had a pretty solid year. They did uh, knock off Purdue at the beginning of the year, and it was nice to see them get back to winning some games. You know, they had had one or no win seasons there for or for a couple of years. But the other thing I don't do in bowl games is I don't pick against option teams. And Georgia Southern runs that option. They're just a pain in the ass, even if you have a month to prepare for them. You don't even want to prepare for them because you know you're just going to get your legs and knees hit play after play and they control the ball the whole game. It just I would never want to play in a game, and I'll never have to, thank God, against that option offense. So I'm going to take Georgia Southern. they got to cover two and a half, um, so I'll go with them. I agree with you wholeheartedly for those exact reasons. Eastern, they have one of the better uh, pass defenses in the country, but their rush defense is 93rd in the nation. They've already played one option team this year in Army, and they lost that one at home by double digits. So even though Eastern Michigan is on the up and up under their head coach, Chris Creighton, I think Georgia Southern is the better team in an obvious mismatch situation. So I would also take Georgia Southern minus two and a half. All right. We're back to agreeing. The world is right again. Here we go. The last game on Saturday, late night, nine o'clock rounding out game or uh, day one of bowl games is middle Tennessee state. And they're playing Appalachian state, which is in a similar scenario to what we just talked about, where we've got Matt Satterfield leaving for Louisville. So you've got a coaching vacancy. How does App State react to that? How do they play? I thought that App State played very well uh, the last game there to close out the season. I think they've played well the whole season. They should have knocked off Penn State. I think they continue to roll uh, with or without Satterfield. And I think that even the seven-point spread that they've got to cover, I think they do that against Middle Tennessee. I can't disagree with you because I think Appalachian State's one of the better group of five teams, obviously the Sun Belt champion, and they always seem to give even power five teams like Penn State first week of the year, you know, they gave them a run for their money. And ever since then, other than a, a hiccup against Georgia Southern, you know, they um, they certainly impressed out of the Sun Belt this year. But something tells me that Brent Stock still out of Middle Tennessee He's going to have the game of his life, I think, in this one. I don't think the Blue Raiders will come away with a victory, but I think they're going to cover that seven-point spread. And this one's going to be a lot closer than people think. I think Appalachian State's going to be one of those games where people put a lot of confidence points on. Uh, but Middle Tennessee <laughs> is going to be making them sweat a little bit for all four quarters. That could be, you're right, that could be a big one uh, for people to pick. And I think my problem was Middle Tennessee State, you know, blue that game against UAB to, to finish the season out, which is our next game. And, and so I lost a little confidence there in them as well. Um, so speaking of a couple days later on the 18th here of December, we've got UAB 
Northern Illinois, and these two teams are – this is another tough one. There's a lot of these games where we get group of five teams that are really tough to measure because they don't play – you know, they don't play any of the same opponents half the time that you can look at common games between. UAB, like I said, came back, beat Middle Tennessee State to end the season. Northern Illinois did the exact same thing. They were down and out to Buffalo, down 12 in the fourth quarter, and I'm licking my chops as I had picked Buffalo. Next thing you know, Northern Illinois wins the game. So are you, are you taking UAB or Northern Illinois? Well, I was hoping you were going to tell me. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I can, I can give you a quick rundown here. Um, surprisingly, this is the only non-New Year's Six bowl game to feature two conference champions. I didn't know that until I read up a little bit on the game uh, before the podcast tonight. Um, UAB, I think they have an advantage defensively, which gives them the edge uh, here. They're ranked uh, 11th in the country in yards allowed per game. The best stat that I could find in this one, UAB, even though they did not have a football program in 2015 and 2016, since 2014, they are the number one team in the country against the spread, hitting on 65% of their games. So that's a better's dream. And I think that streak continues, that trend continues. So I would take UAB minus two and a half in this one. Yeah, that's a good pick. That's what I was leaning on. I think I needed you to push me over the edge there. I just like, you know, Northern Illinois does have a good defense. And if they show up, they'll certainly be tough to beat. Um, The good news is, again, like you said, it's only two and a half for UAB. So it's simply a field goal to cover the spread. I'll, I'll probably, you know, come game day, I'll probably be on the the side of UAB there. And a heck of a, you know, it's a remarkable comeback to going from no program to where they're at now. So uh, certainly good for them. Um, The next game we've got on the 19th. So we've just got one game there on the 18th, one on the 19th, San Diego State. San Diego, I won't uh, remind everybody what that stands for, according to Anchorman, you probably know, uh, against Ohio, the Bobcats out of the MAC. Uh, I'm going to go I, – I actually don't know much about these two teams. Um, so I'm going to go with Ohio, the Bobcats, to cover the three points, win that game. What do you think, Ryan? Yeah, the only thing I know about Ohio is that they score a lot of points and San Diego State doesn't score a lot of points. I think the, the Aztecs rank like somewhere around 110, 115 in the country in points per game. So I'll take the team that can score over the team that can't. 10 times out of 10, especially in a three-point spread. So give me the Bobcats minus three in that one. Yep, so Ohio to win. Stay classy, San Diego. On to the next one. This is the last one we'll look at, and we'll, we'll cut it off here going into next Friday is where we'll pick up next week. So Marshall and South Florida the following night on Thursday. Uh, this one, I watched Marshall actually play against Virginia Tech there to end the season and Virginia Tech clobbered them Uh, but I've seen South Florida play a lot and South Florida hasn't impressed me much at all Charlie Strong really took a step back this year um, and and their offense seems to be in shambles they got beat up by by the the better teams there in their conference including uh, UCF and so I'm actually leaning towards Marshall who is the favorite they got to cover two and a half and I'm going to take the thundering herd to do just that. Yep, I love that pick. Uh, I think Marshall has the better defense. South Florida has struggled defensively all year, especially as of late. Uh, they started off 7-0. and They've lost five straight in, in that time frame. So that includes giving up 57 to Houston, 41 to Tulane, 38 to UCF. So I think Marshall is a good play here. Um, you, uh, South Florida's quarterback, Blake Barnett is probable in the game. I think even if he does play, that might give the bulls a little bit, uh, of some, uh, a spark on offense. But I do think that at the end of the day, Marshall probably comes away with a victory, maybe close, but two points. Give me Marshall. Man, we're going to go out on, on an agreeing, agreeable note there. We only had a couple uh, games where we disagreed. I'm a little disappointed. We need to step <laughs> up our debate tactics on this podcast. Well, well, that's why, though, when we do the college pick them, there's confidence points because we can agree on it, but it's just how much do we agree on uh, on that game? How much confidence do we have in those picks? Uh, but I, I like the slate, to be honest, for the first, the first week, the first day. 
there's some games worth watching. It's always fun to just get college football back after having this week-long hiatus away from the game. And the bowl games are always fun because, you know, like we've said here today, you never know what to expect. It's going to be a crazy bowl season. Uh, you know, games where you have big point spreads might turn out uh, in favor of the underdogs outright. We've seen that time and time again, leading up to the New Year's Six games, which is always exciting. And then the playoff on the 29th and the championship on January 7th. So, uh, you know, stay tuned and stay glued to that TV and, and hope that uh, the eyeballs can last over the next few weeks. That's right. And we will be back next week for our holiday oh heck we can say it's our christmas podcast doesn't need to be the holiday podcast we'll be back with that one to cover all the games going through to uh right after christmas i guess we'll probably come with a new year's one right yeah to to lead us into 2019 so we'll still be around the next couple uh couple weeks here but glad to get back at it we'll see you guys next thursday thanks for tuning in hunt with bruce later later